0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. It's just around the corner. The most holy of Jewish holidays. Yom Kippur. Many of you have heard of Yom Kippur, and if you have, you know that the single most recognizable aspect of the holiday is not the different prayers, not the different melodies used to sing the prayers, but the fact that the Jewish people who observe Yom Kippur are asked to fast from sunset to sunset. 24-hour fast, not just a daytime fast, but once you eat the meal before sunset on Erev Yom Kippur, you're asked not to eat again or drink again until the sun has set the following day. And so this morning, rather than speak about the prayers. And the music, I want to speak about fasting. And I want to begin with a story that speaks to the essential importance of fasting as a component of this holiday. Story that takes place against the backdrop of the Shoah, the Holocaust in Europe. It's entitled... A Yom Kippur in Hiding. It began like any of the indistinguishable mechanical days which had followed one another in monotonous succession. By now, time, hours, days, week had lost their individual marks. The calendar with its neat little boxes of dates and holidays seemed like some foreign relic of another age. Even Shabbat had merged unnoted, unsanctified into the large mass of minutes pushed behind. That many minutes lived, that many minutes yet free. In our windowless subterraneous shelter, there was no hint of the changing light outside. The day and the night became mere formalities to which we adhered by the clock. The unshaded electrical bulbs hanging from the low sloping ceiling were the only son we had seen in weeks, months. In fact, nobody remembered just how long it had been. We, that is my mother, my two sisters, and I lived as Christians, Catholics, like the scores of families who surrounded us on all sides. We shared the pavement floor of their bomb shelter. We ate their food. We shared their trembling at the ceaseless roar and crash of Budapest above us. We shared their prayers and knelt side by side with them. Our unique society of maybe a hundred women, children, and disabled men, the others were out fighting, became the whole world for us. Only very rarely did anyone venture into the death-infested streets to bring us news of the war-crazed world outside. And then, most of us did not care to hear it the day followed day, till we lost the will to count them. And yet, as soon as I woke up, I knew there was something different about this day. I opened my eyes, looked around, and felt that empty place inside which reminded me that something very familiar, something very important was missing. Turning on my straw mattress, I surveyed the floor beyond me. There lay the sleeping forms of my mother and sisters breathing heavily under their thin blankets. They were all there. My father was outside somewhere, working for the underground escape system, and my brother was in hiding somewhere else. He looked too Jewish to risk being with us. They hadn't been with us for months, so it wasn't either of them. Suddenly, I remembered what was missing. It was Max. Max had not come back since the day before yesterday, and no one knew where he was, or at least that's what they told me. He was much older than I. Max, perhaps even old as my father. But he was my only friend in this place of strange faces and fears. Where could he be? And he who always kept his word, why didn't he keep his promise to me? Quietly, so as not to rouse the others, I crept to the edge of the curtain that my mother had hung up to give us a little corner of privacy, and I tiptoed outside. Most of the people in the shelter were still asleep, and the lights, except for the center one, which burned through the night, were not yet lit. The place was dark and full of shadows, And the thick air was very hard to breathe. But Max was not puttering around. He was not up before anyone else the way he always used to be. I waited and waited. But Max did not come. My mother hated Max. She told me time and again not to go with him on our promenades around the shelter. But she said it never in front of him. And so I went anyway. Max was wonderful. He'd come at odd times of the day with his big laugh, grab me, hoist me in the air onto his shoulders and say with his big leg, well, my queen, where shall we promenade today in the forest primeval by the babbling brook? Or shall we just roam through the fields of laughing daisies? I'd hang on to the dusty blue beret which he wore for all our excursions as we climbed into our coach of eight or more, and they stepped idly gliding gondola then each broken chair and bed and old box in the gingy cellar turned into trees and rocks and flowers the sun shone or there were sudden violent storms according to max's mood there were animals and people to watch and then there were stories countless stories to tell somewhere in the fields we would find a spot for our picnic And through some power I have never figured out to this day, Max would produce deep down from his cavernous pocket a singular candy. When Max was around, the days passed like minutes. People watched us and laughed, and sometimes they forgot that they no longer cared. But this was the Shoah. And there was another side to Max, too. On some days, a dark and gloomy look used to come on his face. In the middle of the promenade, he would drop me. Suddenly, as if I was no longer there, he would begin to mutter to himself and pace the shelter, and his head thrust before him and his hands behind his back fiercely like a caged animal. And after a while, he got so worked up that he talked louder and louder and paced faster and faster, till finally he grabbed a box from somewhere, jumped on it, and tearing off his beret, began one of his interminable tirades about god and the people and war at that time of course i didn't understand much of what he said but the words which he used again and again were sharply imprinted on my child's mind sheep sheeps that's what we are we're not people we're sheep that walk right into the wolf's fangs We deserve what's happening to us. We deserve the war and the death and the torture. And let me tell you, there's more yet to come, things unimaginable. Hell on earth before they will have done with us. Yes, he yelled, hell, the hell you've all so afraid of after your puny little lives are over. Hell is here on earth and you, you have created in the name of your God. We deserve to live like animals because we are animals. For centuries and centuries we cowered and served and knelt like animals. He was referring to us, the Jews. We are not men to men, this truly could not happen, only to the shells of men who were taught to walk on all fours and not think. In the name of God, always in the name of God. Well, look around, you worshippers of graven images. Where is your God now? Why is he hiding? Where is his justice to those who have served him faithfully? Is this his world or isn't it? And the one that spits on his name rides in glory. Of course, he was referring to Hitler. What a laugh. What a joke. He looked around, eyes spitting fire, hands outstretched. I'll tell you why. Because suddenly he whispered, because he isn't. That's why your God isn't. "'There is no God up there, only blue and infinite space, "'and that's what you're praying to.' "'Slowly, on these occasions, "'the women and children and crippled old men would turn from him. "'The nuns, there were three in our shelter, "'knelt quickly and crossed themselves. "'Look at me,' Max continued jabbing at his breast. "'Look at me, I'm safe because I have no religion.' No one will touch me, for I am man, nothing less and nothing more than a man. There are no Christians, no Jews, no Muslims. There are only men. There is only this. Suddenly his wild hands found me and hoisted me high in the air. This is my God, the child, the man, the human being. That's my God, and there is no other. My mother came then during one of these rants. Looked at him with tears in her eyes. She took my hand and led me quietly away. But he would go on for hours until completely spent. He threw himself down somewhere and slept. When he awoke, it was as if the storm had passed and the sun shone with a washed washed brightness. But now Max was gone, gone since the day before yesterday and there was nothing to do, no one to talk to, no one to romp with. Listlessly, I walked back to our little, curtained-off corner. Slowly, the shelter came to life. My mother got up and prepared breakfast. A few crackers with some jam we still had left. But neither of my two sisters nor my mother touched the food. Don't be foolish, Anna. You must eat. Whatever we have less, we must use for our strength. My sister just looked at the floor and didn't answer. But why aren't you eating, Mommy? Why isn't anyone eating? My mother looked away, too. I'm not hungry this morning, but you just eat. You eat my portion also. I'll eat later. There was that solemn look on her face, and she watched me sadly as she used to on special days before we moved out of our house and stopped being Jews. Suddenly, she put her two hands on my head and said a few words quietly, the way my father often did. And then I started to cry out loud, Where is Max, Mommy? Why doesn't he come back? You know where he is, don't you? Shh. Don't talk about him. You mustn't talk about him anymore or mention his name. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. The special tone of the last word was familiar to me. Usually it answered everything, but today I perversely persevered. Why are you still angry at him for what happened with that? Nothing. Nothing happened. Do you understand? Nothing at all happened. You must not forget that. It's very, very important. Now her tone was very serious, very intense. I nodded slowly and kept quiet, but after a while I went off by myself and sat down to think about I knew what had happened. It was the night before last, the night when Max left. He had barged in on us after the curtain was already up while my mother and sisters were out talking to some of our neighbors. Left to ourselves, we began to rummage through our belongings, looking for fun. Suddenly, his hands found a little black book under piles of whole clothing. He looked into it curiously and slapped his thigh and laughed louder and louder till he was almost shrieking. My mother ran in and seeing the thing in his hand, she stopped short and looked at him. Are you completely crazy? Watch yourself. But he just went on rolling on the floor and laughing. Of all the insane things in the world, he said, a sidur, a sidur. A prayer book! He was sputtering, choking. Not a gun, not a pill, not even food to save yourselves with, but a prayer book. As suddenly as it came, the laughters went and he was in a rage. He grabbed my mother and shook her. Why did you keep this? Why do you think this magic object will do for you? Can't you understand that you really are not a Jew? That I'm not a Jew? That there is no such thing as a Jew?" My mother just looked at him. Her eyes said nothing. I don't know what you're talking about, where you got that thing from. Take it and leave. We would like to go to sleep. Then she looked steadily into his eyes, crossed herself solemnly while he stared with the siddur in his hands. But he didn't leave right away. First he tore out all the pages of the siddur, shredded them, spit on them, stamped on them wildly with his feet. A cold shiver ran down my spine and I made a move forward but my mother's eyes were on me and froze. Then Max took my hands and looked at me. At least you, at least the young and uncorrupted should know there is no God up there. My child, there is no magic power in these pages. Everything you could ever do or be is in here. And he jabbed my my hand with his finger. There is nothing, nothing up there. Remember that. That was the last I ever saw of him. My mother swept up the torn pages of the Sidur. For a moment, she hesitated, and then she wrapped them in an old newspaper and gave them to my sister. It's the only way. It will have to go out with the garbage. And now my mother said nothing had happened. I knew better. I understood. It was dangerous. It was towards evening when I sensed a sudden commotion. Someone had come in. Someone knew. I ran out to look. Maybe it was Max. But then I stopped, frozen. The man who was hurrying forward with his head bent and his hands pressed close to his sides was not Max. It was my father, who I hadn't seen in months. As soon as he reached a corner, he sat on one of the beds with his back to the rest of the shelter. His face was deathly white, and I noticed a steady trickle of red dripping from his fingers. My mother hadn't moved all this while and then my father spoke quickly but quietly i am a friend of your late husband's who recently died in action this is the first you hear of it his last request that i see you i am wounded and in need of rest you think up the details put up the curtain as soon as the curtain was up my sister had gone to tell my father's tale to our closest neighbors "'We saw my father's hands. "'The skin was in shred "'and the bones of his fingers were exposed. "'His legs, too, under the tattered trousers "'were bruised and bloody. "'My mother bandaged him with the stripes "'and strips of a sheet and a few words his story, "'which I understood only much later, was told. "'Someone had denounced him to the ghetto "'as a Jew, a worker for the underground.' They came looking for him in his hiding place. He jumped two flights out of a window, scaled one concrete garden wall after another with his bare hands and knees, and with guns shooting behind him, he ran, outwitted a detachment of bloodhound trained SS men, and was now standing by us. But soon I must go. I can't endanger the rest of you. You will hear from me as soon as I am safe. With the help of God, our passports to Switzerland should be coming through soon. My mother was putting out our little kerosene stove. I will make you something warm to drink and then at least sleep a while before you go. But my father said, no, it is in time, but it's almost night. Do you know what you're doing? How can you go on like this? You must eat something. You must have strength, I tell you. And when... Since when does our food give us strength? And who knows whether fasting does not give more strength than food? This is a time when each man's deepest nature is uncovered, and each man sees what he wants to see. Some see a mad, senseless chaos, and some see in the chaos the hand of God on each human being. Oh, if only we could understand... Then my father lay down and slept, and a little while later he left us again. It was only after the war that I heard that what else my father mother found out that day was about Max. He had been found the day before, thrown into a doorway near a shelter. He had been shot through the head. I had been sitting idly, playing with the flashlight, when my father left. Now my mother turned on me in fierce anger. Put that down. But I was bored and rebellious and did not obey. Put that down, I say. By why? Then my mother's anger faded, and she leaned close and whispered in my ear, Silly, because it's Yom Kippur. My hand dropped the flashlight almost of its own accord. It was Yom Kippur. That's why nobody had wanted to eat. Blurred images of another Yom Kippur flitted through my mind. The look on my mother's face, my father's hands on my head, people all in white, the whole day in shul, but it was all so far away. Fasting even in the ghetto. Fasting even in the midst of the Shoah. You know, fasting in Judaism is perceived as a calendrical event, specifically with Yom Kippur and Tishbab the ninth of Av, and several minor fasts mostly associated with the destruction of the temple. We rarely, if ever, hear of a community fasting on some other day, and it's almost unheard of for individuals to observe a personal fast day. The Torah never specifically, explicitly describes this most Jewish fast day as a day of fasting. Though you heard in the story the importance of fasting on Yom Kippur. The truth is, here is what the Torah says, and this shall be to you from Leviticus 16. This shall be to you a law for all time. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall practice self-affliction. Ti anu et naftechem. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you of all your sins. You shall be clean before God. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you va'anitem et Techem, and you shall practice self-affliction. It is the law for all time. Yom Kippur is referenced two other times in the Torah, once as the day when the Jubilee is declared, and once when it is describes its sacrifice. The first in Leviticus 25, 9, and the second time in Numbers 29. Verses seven through eleven. The latter r- reference in Numbers contains the same phrase. On the tenth day, the seventh month, you shall observe a sacred occasion when you shall practice self affliction. Uba asar. The Bible contains no other references to Yom Kippur, and thus the practices implied by the phrase self-affliction remain uncertain. Second temple tradition, rabbinic tradition, as well as Kararite and Samaritan tradition, however, all interpreted the Torah's reference to self-affliction to be reference to fasting. That fasting is meant by or included in affliction, may be adduced by looking at other biblical verses where the term fasting and self-affliction are used in parallel. Especially Isaiah 38. Why when we fasting did you not see us? Why when we afflicted ourselves did you not pay attention? So it has become tradition that on Yom Kippur we take this biblical commandment to afflict ourselves and interpreted as meaning abstaining from assortment of physical pleasures. Tradition says there are two reasons for this. On this day, when our connection to God is brought to the fore, we are compared to angels who have no physical needs. And we afflict ourselves, this is the second reason, to demonstrate the extent of our regret for our past deeds. So instead of focusing on the physical, the physical, The majority of this day is spent in the synagogue devoted to repentance and prayer. There are five areas of pleasure that traditional Judaism says that we should avoid from sundown on the eve of the holiday until the following nightfall. Eating or drinking, wearing leather footwear, bathing or washing, applying ointments, lotions, or creams, or engaging in any form of spousal intimacy. It is also customary not to wear gold jewelry on Yom Kippur, as gold is reminiscent of the sin of the golden calf, and on the Day of Atonement, the day when we were forgiven for that egress sin, we do not want to remind the holy prosecutor of our past sins fasting. Who is obligated to fast? All adults over the age of bar and bat mitzvah fast, including pregnant or nursing women, although there are variants for those. Healthy children should be educated to fast for a short amount of time, starting from the age of nine. They shouldn't be given anything to eat after sundown on the eve of Yom Kippur and their breakfast, if possible, should be slightly delayed. Fasting on Yom Kippur is of utmost importance. This is true even if in order to fast, a person must spend the entire day resting in bed and will miss synagogue services. Someone who is ill a woman who recently gave birth, an individual who needs to take medication, a person of advanced age who finds it difficult to fast are usually excluded by rabbinic tradition. I'm not going to speak about the other categories because they're pretty self-explanatory. But fasting has other meanings within Jewish tradition. And so we often uh, use fasting when a catastrophic occurrence occurs, and we want to acknowledge we also fast in Judaism in the hope of changing God's mind. Right? So here in um, Judges 20, then all the Israelites, all the army, went up and came to Bethel and sat there weeping before Adonai. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and of well-being to Yahweh. In 1 Samuel, we read, Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to Yahweh for them. And they assembled at Mitzpah, and they drew water and poured it out before Yahweh. They fasted that day, and there they confessed that they had sinned against God. The second temple book of Judith also tells us about fasting. Every man of Israel cried out to God with great fervor, and they humbled themselves with much fasting. Well, we could go on and on to talk about fasting in Jewish tradition in the Tanakh, in the books of prophets. There are so many examples of it, but the truth of the matter is that most Jews understand that Yom Kippur is primarily about fasting. And even in our long introductory story in the midst of the Shoah, when life and death hell hung by a thread... What people remembered was fasting on Yom Kippur. In a few short days, Jews all over the world will be fasting. And they will be looking to bring themselves closer to God in repentance for their sins and pray that the new year might find them, beginning with their names written in the Book of Life. For Jewish Facts and Jewish Faith, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you an easy fast, Shalom, and have a good day.